everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Debating Metal. I am Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris K, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. Each week, we also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week on episode 18, we'll be putting on the grease paint and debating which era of Kiss is better, masked or unmasked. And later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best. With this week's big four Kiss songs, as chosen by us. And along with that, we got another What Should You Be Listening To? But before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode 17. Last week, we settled once and for all that David Lee Roth was the better era of Van Halen. Or maybe it was Sammy Hagar's era. I don't know. I guess the battle still rages on. So with that said, we'd like to hear your opinion on the matter. So send us an email at debatingmetal at gmail.com or leave us comments on our Facebook page or Twitter or even Instagram. And if you missed this or any of the other episodes, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, or iHeartRadio. And please, please, please don't forget to rate us or leave a review. Chris, tell them what our big four was last week. Well, along with the raging debate of who was the better singer, we picked our big four Van Halen songs. So check out our list, make sure you listen to the episode, and leave us a comment on what your big four Van Halen songs are. Why don't we get things started? Kenneth, why don't you do the honors with what should you be listening to? Okay. I'm prepared again this week. I'm getting, it's like, <laughs> I'm getting on a roll. Um, <laughs> okay, so my choice for what should you be listening to this week is a brand new album came out a couple weeks ago called curse of the crystal coconut by the band Aelstorm. now i just recently got into Aelstorm, and i gotta tell you besides the humor it's pretty cool metal you know i mean it's pirate metal i think they're the only band listed as pirate metal <laughs> <laughs> but it is really cool i mean they have the accent of a pirate as they sing but the, 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 the musicianship is pretty damn good uh, behind it. I mean, they've got some really cool songs on on this album. And I, I really like what I've heard so far. I haven't gotten through the whole album yet. Um, but I have, they have actually some uh, a couple of female guest vocalists on it. I mean, it's just, so some really cool stuff. I mean, the, the musicianship is up to par. It is top notch. The guitar solos are great. You know, it's great guitar work on the album. The singing is typical pirate singing. Arr. So take a Yarr. take a listen. Ailstorm, Curse of the Crystal Coconut just came out. Give it a spin. Chris, what do you got? I wish you had done that whole segment in a pirate <laughs> voice. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it again later. Maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> listen to Ailstorm. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to circle back around to one I picked a few weeks ago because it's still happening, and I think it's it's something that people should really be listening to. Um, I'm going back again to the uh, non-analog series for Death. 
These are old recordings. Unfortunately, you'll never get to hear death live again. This is the closest you can get. So these are old recordings from the 1990s. The first couple we talked about was Montreal and Chicago. That was 1995 and 1988. Since then, they've released On Stage in Tijuana, which was 1990. On Stage uh, in the Showcase Theater in California. That was 1995. And then the, the newest one that was released was on May 27th. That was uh, the Onstage series, 1990-1991, Unknown. So that's kind of a, a mixture of, of live recordings. Unfortunately, they don't really know where it was recorded. <sighs> it, is, it is such a cool experience to, to get to hear these. They're not the best recordings. They weren't ever really meant to be you know, released as, as live albums. But that being said, when, when you hear them and you hear the, the, the playing skill, the the huge amount of time that these have taken place in so all the way from 1988 to 1995 you're getting a good scope of what that band did and it's just a, a great experience to go through again that's pretty cool um i i like that um they're putting those out um i, I took a listen to the first one in montreal that one actually sounded pretty decent i did notice that the next one definitely sounded like a bootleg but at the same time there's something, I mean, people listen to bootlegs, they exist for a reason. People listen to bootlegs all the time. That's because they are attracted to their band, the band that they love, they like, they love to listen to, and they don't care how it sounds. Otherwise, there wouldn't be that underground scene of, of bootleg trading. And um, so, it, 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 I mean, it's still halfway decent. But, oh, yeah. Um, They're not terrible. Right. It's and, just it's just they're not that that professional right. you know live album quality that that you know some bands get around to. It's I mean live albums aren't always the best. No, there's some bands that just can't figure it out and I <laughs> I'm like I don't know how that happens but anyway, the, that series from from Death is pretty cool. Um so the who's the record company on that? Relapse doing a great job with that. Yes, relapse relapse records. Yeah, they're doing a great job with that with that series. Along those same lines, I am a collector of Metallica bootlegs. If you, if for that matter, um, I, I collected a lot of their shows that they weren't bootlegs. The ones that they started releasing since two thousand four, I've collected almost everything up through the end of the Death Magnetic tour. But before that, you know, so I started started picking up bootlegs here and there, and. It's amazing how bad some of them sound and then how good some of them sound. Like, you know, you get that soundboard A minus quality and then you get, they don't even tell you the quality of it. Then you get the one that, where the guy has his, his tape recorder in his pocket because it sounds so bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's like, why even have it? Because realistically, you can't, you can't hear any tone or tonality in the music. You literally just hear and you can barely catch that there's someone singing over that noise <laughs> <laughs> it's equivalent to going to the theater or not going to the theater but getting the the, the cam recordings at a movie theater oh, where yeah. somebody's walking by <laughs> <laughs> exactly so it's it's, it's cool I, I like i like those things but i've been doing that metallica one for years i got it i mean it's like i don't know 50 gigabytes worth of these little mp3 shows that i have Nice. So it's cool when you have something like w with what Relapse is doing, giving that availability to the fans. So that's pretty neat. All right, so on to this week's topic. And we are talking about KISS. 
Now, Kiss is one of my favorite bands. I mean, up until Metallica came around, they were my favorite band, and I defended them with everything I had. But Metallica came around, kind of squeezed into that top spot uh, eventually, and Kiss kind of squeezed themselves out of it by being you know, just butt nuggets and not really putting out good music and firing this guy and hiring that guy and firing him again and rehiring this guy. So it's been a it's been a whirlwind. It's a love hate relationship now with Kiss for me, very similar to Eddie Trunk in in that manner. But deep down inside, I'll always have this this deep affinity for the band, um, no matter what. Oh yeah. So you know, instead of me starting this this off and and talking a lot, why don't you go ahead and give us a brief overview how you got into Kiss back in the day? Well, back in the day is really not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've I've always been kind of interested in Kiss, and and it's fine. It's kind of funny. I was more drawn to the bands that looked like Kiss. You know, the, the guys that wore the corpse paint and that kind of stuff. And so going in reverse, you, you know, see who kind of originated that look. I mean, Kiss was always kind of interesting to me. And then when I, you know, I learned that there was different characters, you know, the, the Star Child, the Demon, the Fox, the, you know, it, just all the all the characters over the years. Wait, you that, forgot you forgot the Ankh Warrior. <laughs> I didn't forget him. We're going to get to him eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can forget the encore. I mean, he was he was <laughs> the man. <laughs> right, go on. Um, I'm sorry. So, so I mean, the, those like being a, a person who is an artist, graphic designer, um, the imagery really drew me to it. And then when when you know I learned more about the drama that followed over the course of the years, it, it you can't be, help but be drawn in by it. It's it's interesting. Yeah. My history with Kiss was more, you know, based on the visual flair that's what drew me in and then i kind of joined in with the music etc from there cool cool and i've mentioned it before how i got into kiss by you know watching the commercial for kiss alive too so this discussion is today is going to be which era we think is better now i have chosen the masked era which basically goes from 1974 to 1980 uh or excuse me 1982 but um, we're going to cut it off at the end of the original. So, so my era is going to be uh, the original band, basically Peter, Paul, Gene, and Ace up to 1980. Yes, 1980. You're going to take up from 1980 and on up until 1992 when, you know, from when Eric Carr joined and when Eric Carr passed away and Eric Singer became the drummer. Right? Yeah. You, you mentioned that. It was a hard time, you know, sticking with the band through some of those eras. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, hard times. <laughs> hard times. It's hard times. To, uh, yeah, having hard times is having to support an album like Hot in the Shade. Hard times <laughs> is having to support an album like Crazy Nights. Hard times is like having to support an album like Music from the Elder. Music from the elder. But I'm going to do it. <laughs> it, it <laughs> all right, Dusty. You do that. Because I, I totally understand what you're saying. Because it's easier in my era to defend certain things uh, than it is to defend certain things in your era. But at the same time, there are some really good things that happened to KISS in the 80s. Specifically, the unmasked portion of the 80s or all the way up to... 
when they reunited uh, and put the makeup back on. So there are some really cool things on there. And we'll we'll talk about most of that as, uh, as the evening progresses. So my my defense or, or my thing, I believe that the, the best era of Kiss is the, is the classic era. Now, I know Chris Jericho's favorite era of Kiss is the actual 80s non-makeup era because that's when he got into them. And that's it, how everyone defends their thing, when they get into them. I got into them, you know, as an eight-year-old with... Uh, with the makeup on, Chris Jericho got into him as a like a ten or twelve year old, I think it was, with no makeup. You got into him way. I mean, they had already been you know makeup, no makeup, makeup, no makeup, you know, a whole bunch of different <laughs> times, <laughs> you know. And so you you got into them as just as a group. Uh, but you're you're gonna defend, or you're gonna debate your side of it based on the no, the non makeup era. I love most of the stuff that they did in 1976 and 77 75 and 74 there's some questionable stuff on there what is your favorite part of the unmasked era um well i would say the biggest thing that i feel makes that era better is the musicianship the guys that were in the band the the originators yes they you know they had that time period from the very beginning to about the midpoint of that era of the career where they were you know buddies and they were they were putting out songs they actually made all the music together but then there you know there's the the kind of shady end of all that story and whereas in the like from especially from creatures of the night you have Vinnie Vincent, who is, you know, despite being kind of a weirdo. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> understatement. Um, it, it was it was a fantastic guitarist and really brought some life back into the band, along with that that era of being unmasked following the 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 recording of the album. But you have Eric Carr, who was just a phenomenal drummer and many many steps above what Peter Chris could do. You have Bruce Kulick during that era, who is probably the best guitarist of that era. And, I mean, you you just have you have more them kind of coming out of being defended, you know, being, you know, armored, per se, by the by the imagery and kind of just relying on the actual musicianship. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, the biggest problem, you know, that that. To me, Kiss has always been misunderstood because Paul and Gene, specifically Gene, Gene is an excellent bass player, okay? And he has said time and time again that he took his cue as a bass player from Paul McCartney, where each of them, Paul and Gene, uh, Paul McCartney and Gene, write their bass lines almost as an alternate rhythm to the song. They don't do it as a, I'm following the the, the kick drum, I'm following the snare. They don't do it as, as a as a complement to the to the to the drum the rhythm section of the or the rhythm part of the with the drummer but they do it as a rhythm part to the song so Gene's you know for the most part has done that I mean you can hear it very prevalently in Detroit Rock City you can hear that in Do You Love Me and in some of the other songs uh, in the beginning so Gene doesn't get enough credit as being a really good songwriter Paul uh, Stanley himself 
is a very good, I mean, he's one of the best rhythm guitar players out there. He's not a lead guitarist by any means, um, but he's a very good rhythm guitar player. And to be able to learn, you know, to jump and stuff like that, you know, yes, there are lots of miscues during a concert, but the guy is pretty good. I mean, he's not a virtuoso rhythm guitar player like, you know, Scott Ian and James Heffield, but he is a very accomplished and very good rhythm guitar player. But his main shtick is he's the main songwriter, the main face, the main vocal of Kiss. And not, nothing can deny that. So in the well, 80s... Especially in the 80s. I mean, right, exactly. You, you go in the music videos, and the one that always stands out to me is Lick It Up, where they're walking through the uh, the field where you know there's the skulls, and it's, it's a, like a real broken-down alleyway. And and so they just like brought some skulls and stuck them in there and it works. It looks great. But, you know, in that video, it's funny because you have Gene and Paul in the front and Eric and, and Vinny behind them walking just just slightly behind them, you know, off to the side. But they're the, the cameras just focused on Paul and Gene. And it's like Eric's head will kind of bob into scene, and then, <laughs> and then the same with Vinny. But they're they're like so still, just playing the character, you know, just very serious about what they're doing, which is great. But it, it the same thing happened with any of the other videos that followed up. Um, what uh, I want to say it was in Asylum, they did uh, Tears Are Falling, and mm-hmm. so if you watch the video, where, the, you know, they're on stage. You see Paul and Gene focused 98% of the video. (laughs) And I think there's one shot of Bruce. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, that was the era of Paul and Gene. Yeah. Everyone else was a hired, hired gun. Yeah. and And it's unfortunate because, you know, Bruce is such an accomplished guitar player and Eric was such a stellar drummer, um, that it, it was, uh, and a good guy. And yes, and a very good guy. I mean, I just recently saw a a movie on, I believe it was on Amazon Prime, basically an Eric Carr documentary, or the, I think it was called The Eric Carr Story. It's a really cool documentary. They do talk to Bruce in that, and they talk to some of the other musicians that were that surrounded uh, Eric and some, some of the other people, like Neil Bogart. Uh, was it Neil Bogart? Or... Uh, yeah, it was Neil Bogart who was their manager, and uh, you know things like that was Bill Coin. I can't remember which one it was. No, it was, it was Bill Coin, and you know some of the other guys that were involved in in the, in the the organization of Kiss. But of course, they didn't have Paul and Gene because you know they're not going to authorize something like that. But you know he is a, a tremendously nice guy. I mean, so so much so it it surprised Bruce how nice Eric was. And that, that's that, that's a testament to how nice he really was. So it's it's pretty pretty impressive. And he was a damn good drummer. I mean, damn good drummer. Yeah, as evidenced by the best Kiss album, which was Creatures of the Night. <laughs> you know, I, is that is that what you consider the best Kiss album? So, yeah, to me it is. It's okay. it, it's just one of the hardest rocking ones. It's got some really good uh, lyrics. I mean, the, the, Paul was on point with his lyrics and even gene was i mean with um what was the song he wrote uh to kind of deal with his his issues with um with ace uh saint and sinner oh, yeah. saint and sinner 
has excellent lyrics. It's a great song. Yeah, I love it. Loud is a huge hit. Yeah, uh, I, I love that song. Killer was a cool song. I love. I, I, I mean, side two. I was to say three. Side two has <laughs> got has got four songs on them, and three of the four, if I'm not mistaken, are Gene Simmons songs. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, War Machine, War Killer. Machine Killer, and and uh, and I love, I love it loud. loud. All three are excellent songs. And then the two songs that he has on side one, uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hell and Saint and Sinner, are also really good songs. So that's that, mm-hmm. that's that helped a lot. The yep. unfortunate part is that that album got lost between the fact that they turned off the fans with the Elder, or actually they turned off the fans with Dynasty. Unmasked, and then even more so, they may just shut them out completely with with uh, the elder. That it took a lot, and they and the record company was on its final legs, Casablanca. That they really there wasn't a really huge push on it. And I remember back in the day, I had an opportunity to go see them. Uh, I, I didn't know about the opportunity until much later. I was told about it, but I had an opportunity to go see them play in new york city i believe it was going to be at the palladium which was you know like a four thousand seater I'm, I'm not exactly sure you know i never went to the palladium even though i lived in new york until i was 18 but i wasn't a big concert goer. i mean, only went to like three concerts in new york when i lived there four maybe and one of them was ace freely <laughs> and one was kiss their fame had basically just been decimated and it was unfortunate because Creature Tonight is such a strong album. I'll, I'll grant you that. To me, that I agree with you on that regard. It's, it's their strongest album of the 80s, if you want to look at it that way. But to me, I, I also like Revenge. That's a, that's a very close second. Yeah. My favorite... Well, I think it's a testament that it was an album that was kind of overlooked at the time, mm-hmm. but it has a really huge fan base now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that album. I mean, I, I wish... To me, the one thing that always disappointed me about KISS was their inability to step to the forefront and be honest with the fans. I mean, I know every single band from Metallica all the way down to ACDC, all the way down to, you know, I'm not going to say down, but, you know, Metallica, AC, all the big bands, and then you got all the little bands. Everybody gives out misinformation to their fans okay very few are 100 percent honest you know let, let's let's face the you facts. mean in regard to like who's playing etc no just in regards to anything that's going on okay you know like sometimes you just you you, you want to hold things close to the vest okay all right well, but well, i mean creatures of the night is a good example of that and, and with, ex- with exactly that, that's that's on was, the cover <laughs> that's that's the point I, that's why i was trying to get out I, I wish Kiss had been honest and just hired Vinny, unless it was a situation where they weren't planning on hiring Vinny, but you know, obviously they made him the Ankh Warrior, the, the best Kiss guy out there. <laughs> and they they if they weren't planning on hiring Vinny, I get it. But Ace Freely already quit. I mean, he was out of the band. He was not part of that. And, and how they convinced him to go ahead and do press for an album he had no playing on whatsoever which was very obvious <laughs> okay yes it's it's kind of like what are you doing be honest with your fans and that's one of the things that 
why it it eventually obviously at that time when that album came out that was 1982 okay i was 13 years old i just became a teenager i was i mean i loved the album when it came out and i didn't know anything about all the dishonesty that was going on it's just one of those things. Well, why couldn't you know? Oh, Ace Freely. You know, I, I would see Ace Freely on the press, and I would see you know a magazine here with Ace Freely, and he's got the same same costume as he had on the Elder, which was still a cool costume. They don't like to call them costumes; they like to call them outfits because a costume is for for a clown, uh, is the way Paul put it. <laughs> I'm I'm, sure, I'm dead serious. Outfit sounds much better. They they never called it a costume. It, it was always called an outfit. Their gear or their outfit. I mean, granted, it does sound a little better. It's it's not as good as gear, but uh, yeah. You know, so they they you know he had the same outfit Ace Freely on Creatures of Night as he did on the Elder. Fine, I didn't think too much of it at the time. You see all this press. With with Ace Freely, I mean, they they've photo sessions. Uh, uh, I mean, they even interviewed him, and he was like, "Yeah, I may, I may not, I'm, I'm probably not going to tour, whatever." You know the way he talks. Come <laughs> on, man, just uh, come be be upfront, be honest. You say, "Listen, Ace is not part of the band. We've got this guy Vinny. He's good. We're moving on. He's better. Well, just do it. He's better. Do like a Mustang. He's better than Ace Freely, and he was." Well, I mean. To be honest, the dishonesty started before that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it started with Peter Chris. Well, of and, course. And Anton Fig. Well, and, but at least, well, yeah, because Unmasked was the same way. Un, but the thing is, they did no press for Unmasked. So when they went to Australia to, to tour that album, Eric Carr was their drummer. I mean, they had a big thing, and I remember watching it on on uh, this show called Kids Are People Too. They introduced Eric Carr to the yeah, I've seen the, it. the world of, of of Kiss fandom. So I, I I was glued to the TV when that happened because Peter Chris was gone. I had heard rumors, you know, you you would see magazines and this that, and the other thing. But yeah, so they were dishonest with with Dynasty. They were dishonest with Unmasked. They were even dishonest with Side Four of Kiss Alive too. It, there's, you know, I I get that it, in Kiss Alive too. They were trying to keep the band together. They wanted to make sure that they can hold everything together, and it was just unraveling at at a, a, an amazing pace at that point. That's the one thing that I always wish that they were just more straight up with the fans. And and I mean, they try to do it today, but even then, today it's like you know what? They still have two guys up there dressed like cosplaying right. Ace and Ace and Peter. They didn't give them their own characters. They're just up there being Ace and Peter. Right. You know, it, it continues to, to this day. You know, and, and even with the whole, you know, Paul barely singing. You know, he's, his voice is shot. And so they're, they're using backing tracks. And if, they're, and if they say they're not, you know, that's just a flat out lie. Well then, okay. Paul is an excellent ventriloquist. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm watching video when he and, and it's supposed to be a live concert and it's supposed to be one night, one shot, and all that stuff. And he's his voice sounds great, even though he's three feet away from the mic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really really great shotgun mics that they have aimed at him at all times. <laughs> so it, and he can stand anywhere in the in in the in venue. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a shame that that that, that happens. I mean, I understand if you take a show 
if you take a concert video and you, you release it at a later date and you say, this is our, you know, our concert video from Las Vegas. And there's, you know that there was two nights or three nights or four nights at Las Vegas and you clip together a bunch of piece, uh, a bunch of clips. Which is the music videos that used to do that too. You knew it was the actual track from the, from the album. Right. And, but it was, you were seeing the band playing live. You knew, you knew it was, it was lip synced and, Right, you know, and all that, but and, and that's fine. You it's know, different. Yeah. Th- that's different. I mean, I've seen. Uh, I actually noticed it on Iron Maiden's video for Book of Souls. Um, that there was, you know, I thought originally that it was from one show, but it's not. It's from several different shows. But even during certain songs, there was there was times where you would catch Adrian with a different guitar, and you know what? That's fine because. You're releasing. You're not trying to pass it off as a live event that happened in one take. You're. They're not. And yeah. So you, when you when you have something like that, or you know, Kiss Live in Las Vegas, you know, the one night only type of thing, and all of a sudden, you know, you see him move away from the mic and he keeps singing. Come on, man. That that didn't happen like that. So it's those things that that have the the dishonesty has always been to me a disservice to the fans. Fine. That's what you have to live with as a Kiss fan, <laughs> you know. And I, you know, I defended them to the death when when Dynasty came out, when Unmasked came out, when The Elder came out. I mean, I was just like, I didn't know what else to do. Thank God that you know I discovered you know heavy metal <laughs> and, and with ACDC and Judas Priest and all those guys because I was kind of getting tired of, of defending. It. I was like, this is this is freaking exhausting. <laughs> Look, I mean, look at it this way. Kiss is just playing it kayfabe. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they are uh, sticking to the story no matter what. Yeah, I get it. And, you know, the, the, book, the books have been, you know, the history books and, and them pulling back the curtain has been nice to see what's, what actually happened. But it, it's, you know, but even then, in, you know, the stories are different from each person's mouth. I mean, you, you, you have Gene saying it one way, you have Paul saying it one way. I mean, I, I listened to a couple interviews with Vinny not too long ago, and it's, it's hard to take it seriously. But you, I mean, there's some kernel of truth in all of these stories, and then there's a whole lot of, you know, the, ego the third side although yeah. it's hard to believe anything that Vinny says because he's so delusional oh for sure yeah <clears throat> so um anyway with kiss to defend my side of it the 70s side i really really think that the classic era of kiss is basically untouchable you got that first album where there's like seven out of the ten songs are, are all classics even Hotter in Hell, which is a, sounds terrible. I mean, that sounds like a bootleg. You know, it sounds like someone recorded in someone's pocket. Um, it's it's amazing to me how how much lower quality it is from the first album. It, it's kind of mind blowing. And it's the same two guys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise, who produced it. So yeah, it, I, you know, I can understand when you got budgets, and you know, you got to do things quick, but. I'm sorry, the studio has a microphone. Don't put a towel in front of it. Don't put it you know, sitting inside a closet. I don't know what else to say. There's no reason why it should have sounded so crappy. They have several good songs in it. I mean, Watching You, Hotter Than Hell, 
Got to Choose, Parasite. They've got good songs, so it's a good album. But because it sounded like crap, and and the the attitude on the album, it was it's very, it was very unenergetic. If you listen to it, it's very heavy. In that regards, it's a very heavy, like you know, heavy, like sad but true Metallica kind of, you know, very, very dark, very heavy type album for that time. For the time period, yeah. For the time period. And then, you know, coming off of Kiss that was only released eight months earlier, that album, a lot of the songs had already been written before they got into the studio. Um, so, and even well, some, some of them... Some of them even before... Before they were their, Kiss. Their, yeah, before they were Kiss. Right. So, those songs, the, the same thing applies to that. They had a lifetime to write their first album. So, they wrote some good songs. I mean, like I said, staples to this day. Black Diamond, Strutter, Deuce, Nothing to Lose, Colgin. I mean, there's just really good black, uh, did I say 100,000 years? I mean, there's some really good songs on there. They they go into the studio, you have to write a whole brand new album. They come up with good songs, but man, they just, terrible execution when it came to the sound. The album cover? I don't know what that was all about either. And by the way, I don't know if you read or seen that. That was the first time that that Paul had gotten drunk, and or or the the drunkest that Paul had ever been. Because uh, he's was not, for the album cover. Yeah, he got really really drunk. In the, is that the, why he can barely stand up at that <laughs> image? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was that was a little excessive for for Paul even back then. So those album those songs are. I mean. You, you then go to the next album. The third album's got, you know, the 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 Kiss National, you know, the Rock and Roll National Anthem with Rock and Roll All Night, Party Every Day. Um, even that album got some good songs on it, but it's amazing how different that sound, that album sounds. It sounds like, you know, someone took them out of the closet. The energy's more up there. Still haven't been able to capture what, what you see in a Kiss concert. Well, they were trying to be a little more businesslike. I mean, they were wearing suits and... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was. It's a good album. It, it it is what it is. It's a you know. There's some good songs. I mean, on. Ro- rock and roll all night is is timeless. She wasn't she uh, one of the songs that they wrote before they were kissed. Yeah, that's a a wicked Lester song. Wicked Lester, yeah. That I mean, that's a good song too. But I mean, because they play, it was on Kiss Alive. It's not the greatest song in the world, but it was it was the song where Ace Frehley was able to. Uh, let loose and play guitar solo in concert. Mm-hmm. You know, come on mm-hmm. and love me's on that is on dress to kill. That's a really good song. Two timer, room service, ladies in waiting. I mean, those are, those are all '70s songs, '70s rock songs. I mean, very similar to like Alice Cooper stuff. You know, it had the same kind of sound. You know, that's just the way production was back then. But then comes you know, so you got you got these three albums, three albums. In 13 months. And then Kiss Alive comes out. Kiss breaks through the mainstream. And then Destroyer comes out. All of a sudden, like I think you and I were talking about Destroyer the other day. That's like a greatest hits album. <clears throat> yeah, to me, I don't, I don't really get it because... I mean, I get it. I get why the songs are popular. I, I, I get why it's such a huge album. But, but as far as like me listening to an album... It does feel like a greatest hits because it's not cohesive in the way that a typical album would be cohesive, where everything feels like it was written for 
that album. It just feels like a bunch of good songs that were thrown together yeah. and well, really well produced. I mean, I could, I could, I could understand that point of view of it. It's weird because having kind of backtracked and picked that album up, you know, it had already been out a few years by the time I picked it up. And you listen yeah, same, to it. Same here. <laughs> and then you you listen to it. Remember, I'm I'm I get into Kiss at the height. I mean, literally the pinnacle of their popularity. When I got into my Kiss Alive too, they were as popular as they ever were going to be. And so I go back and listen to them, and it and there's something about like I, I listen to Kiss Alive, and there's just something about a lack of energy on all these albums. That it's like why why is it so different? I mean, they like Destroyer sounded great, Rock and Roll Over sounded great, Love Gun sounded great. They're clear. The only one that sounded like shit was was Hotter Than Hell. They sound okay, but they don't capture what the essence of Kiss was. You know, very similar to how Bob Rock once said, you know, that there's not a Metallica album out there that that captures what um, Metallica sounded like up until the Black Album, and even then, the Black Album was. was I don't want to say it overproduced, but it's it was really well produced to the point of almost excess to me. Like I said, I think Load and Reload are the, uh, Load Reload and the new one Hardwired are the best sounding Metallica albums. But they, they were able to capture an energy on the Black album that hadn't been captured before. Similarly, until Alive, Kiss hadn't been able to be captured that way. Period. And then they kind of went back to it. Destroyer was the closest to a studio album that you that that Kiss had at, at, at that up to that point that was able to capture what they offered. But even then, after that, they kind of you know Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun kind of you know they they kind of fell flat in terms of energy. Good good albums, good songs. I'm not saying that it was bad energy. It was just the sound wise. Eddie Kramer. So- Eddie Kramer is very raw. I so like what that. you're saying is that all it lacked to really show what Kiss did, I mean, because Alive and Alive 2 weren't all exactly live, so all that was missing was the, was was an audience track. Was crowd noise. <laughs> <clears throat> Essentially. I mean, if, if, if they would have put, let's say, if they were to put a crowd behind the glass and, and, and have them cheer on, they probably would have done a really cool album. But the other thing, too, Back then, you didn't record albums live on the floor. It was always, you know, you record the drums, the bass, guitars, vocals, overdub the leads, boom, go. And so, you, it's hard to capture that energy when you're doing that. You know, like, so now you, you get a lot of bands who will record the drums. The whole band is playing. They record the drums only. So, they get that energy going back and forth with the band. In some cases, you just get the whole band. You get the whole thing recorded. You, you try to separate the band, but they're all still in the same room. So there's lots of different ways to do it. How is it that you best capture? Kiss wasn't able to accomplish that. Needless to say, the songs and the songwriting still just, it it stands above the production. And you picked Creatures of the Night as your favorite album. My favorite album as a whole is Rock and Roll Over. It's got great songs, it's, there is a cohesiveness to it, as cohesive as Kiss can be in terms of their songwriting. I like Rock and Roll Over. I love the cover, too. The cover's awesome. I uh, mean, there's always going to be 
a, a little bit of dissonance with Kiss because you've got four guys writing songs. Well, I mean, really three guys and Peter Chris. You got three guys writing songs that are writing them kind of separately, bringing them in and saying, this is a song I want to do. And so there's always going to be that little bit of dissonance. But yes, they all sound kind of similar. They sound like they belong in the same album. Now, are, were you saying that, that Ace wasn't uh, writing songs? No, that, he was part of that. Peter oh, okay. Chris was the one that really wasn't oh, writing and, songs. And that's the funny. Yeah, he wasn't a big um, songwriter because basically what he wrote were just these cheesy rock and roll songs. But they did put one song from Peter on almost every album. You know, well, like, uh, and but there's if you if you go back and listen to some of the the comments that Gene and Paul and even Ace have made over the years, some of the stuff that's attributed to Peter wasn't necessarily his. Right, like like his the co-writer is the one that really made it strong. Like mm-hmm. like Stan Penridge writing. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Peter Chris because I don't know all the true story behind everything, but every every Peter Chris song also has a co-writer. Yes, and I, I think what it is is that Peter probably came up with the lyrics because he's the one who came up with the words for Beth. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's there's a person in the background, you know, the musician who's actually uh, putting that onto a piano, putting that onto a guitar, giving it some kind of life. So yes, he, he probably wrote small fraction of the lyrics or maybe all the lyrics to that. And then he would, you know, he had someone writing the, you know, coming up with a uh, melody and and adding that to the song. Now, I have heard Paul say that he came up with Beth, he wrote it, and then Peter said, well, I want to sing that song, and if I'm not allowed to sing the song, I'm quitting the band. So that's a story he's told, and Gene has told, so I don't know what the validity of that story is, but I've heard it from both of them. I think, I think... um I don't know if it was Paul who who came up with the words for it because the the song, um, the way they brought it up was Paul changed the title from Beck to Beth because I know Peter brought the song to Kiss, and he said, "Hey, I got this song. It's about Becky." It, they the words were Beck. I hear you calling, you know. But what can I do? And it was Paul who said, "You need to change it to Beth because then people are going to think that you're calling out Jeff Beck." <laughs> that's 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 the story the way that's the, funny yeah um, so but that, beck sounds terrible yeah it's horrible but you know it, it, that it is, almost sounds like he's choking like beck I hear <laughs> <you>. <laughs> right you know beck i hear you calling but i can't come home right so it was paul who had him change it to beth so so that's a good decision yes that's that's, that's as good of a decision as uh as as the uh hobo uh, yes, from change, David Coverdale. Drifter in, in, uh, um, <laughs> what's the name of the song? Why am I Here I Go this? Again. Here I Go Again, yeah. Yeah, so that yeah, that's the way I understood the story. Um, that it was, it, Peter brought the lyrics. To, you know, uh, Stan, I think Stan Penridge is the one that wrote the music, and they changed it, and Paul changed it from Beck to Beth. Now, I do believe that that would probably be what Gene and Paul said yeah, uh, or or that Peter would say to to Paul and Gene if they if he they wouldn't let him sing the song because that song is so different from everything they've done at that point 
And as heavy as this Destroyer is, you know, with Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World, and all of a sudden, you you know, God of Thunder and Do You Love Me, you're going to put this song on there. I could see him making that argument and saying, hey, if you don't let me do this song on this album, I'm, I'm done. I can yeah. see that. Now, I'm going to say something controversial, but it supports my side. And that's, I much prefer the Eric Carr version of Beth to the Peter Chris version. <laughs> Um, he had a really great voice. He did. And, he was a good and, singer. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that he's not featured as a singer more often. And he got he got the one was it Little Caesar on uh, Hot in the Shade? I think it was his his vocals. Yeah the uh, the pizza song. Yeah, yes, it is unfortunate. You do hear his background vocals. He was a very you know he he was the Michael Anthony of uh, of Kiss with the with the good background yeah, vocals. Yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> Yeah, it is a shame that he didn't. They didn't get to use his voice uh, more often. In essence, they didn't really use his musicality very much. The guy was a good musician. I mean, he also played guitar. He also played yeah, bass. I've watched a couple videos of him just kind of messing around on, on guitar, and yeah, he he seemed to be pretty pretty good. I mean, it's not like you know. He, he, I don't think he was asking to play guitar on stage or anything like that. But you know, sometimes. You gotta, you gotta. What's the word I'm trying to get at? Not hone in on someone's you get, skills. You gotta utilize the the, you, the skills that are available. Right. You have to them. utilize your skills, and you have to help them. You know, help help them grow as a songwriter. Yeah. And, and I think that may have been the disconnect between this is an employee of Kiss and not. You know, well, Gene, I, I think Eric was just the ultimate team player. And from what I understand, also he was he was a little afraid that he was going to lose his job a lot. Yeah, he you was know, always he, afraid of that. He had a he had a tendency to, you know, dwell on the fact that he wasn't the original guy, that he wasn't in the band in in the heyday. Yes, and and one question that I always ask, I asked Eddie Trunk and he re- he responded to me on Twitter. Um I asked Eddie Trunk if Eric Carr is alive today, does the Kiss reunion in 1995-96 happen? And he said he thought it would because money money was the, the, the driving factor behind that. <clears throat> but at the same time, you also got to understand, as a makeup, if, if you're putting on the makeup and Eric Carr is alive, Eric Carr had, he had a character. He was, yeah, he was the fox. fox yeah. You know, and to me, as beloved as Peter Christa Cat is, Eric Carr the fox was just as beloved. And so I personally believe that if they do get back together and they do put the makeup on, it would have been with Peter, I mean, excuse me, it would have been with Paul, Gene, Ace, and Eric. That's my opinion. Well, they definitely had a better working relationship with Eric than they ever had with Peter. Yeah, but at at the same time, the money was going to be, no, we want the original four. And that, you know, Eric would have probably gone into complete paranoia at that point. But I think... They were so, they were so connected, and it's weird because I just said there was a disconnect in that in the songwriting, but they were just so in love with Eric in in that regards that I don't know if they would have done that with with uh, with Eric Carr. I mean, it was easy to do with Eric Singer, easy, but with Eric Carr, I don't think it would have been that easy to to sit there and say, you know, do we fire this guy? That's been with the band at, at that point. He would have been with the band for fifteen years. 
you know, in 95, 96. So I don't know. And But Eddie said to me in, in the Twitter, he goes, money talks. So he thinks it would have happened anyway. Who knows? I got to see the original reunited kiss in 96. You can tell that Peter Chris was playing two, not playing two, but he was playing triggered drums. Doesn't take away from the fact that he was playing, but you could tell he was playing pr- triggered drums because he, he doesn't hit very hard. He doesn't have the ability physically to hit as hard as he used to. And it was, it, it almost seems, you know, it's like, yeah, they were, you're talking 20 years later, they were reunited and it was great and it was all this, but there was so much that was just like, really? You know, the excitement was there. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty, the best decision that Kiss could make was to bring in Tommy Thayer and, and, and Eric Singer. And, and Yeah, I mean, it it was very apparent watching the videos uh, that there was, there was some backstage drama, for sure. Even though they always tried to be professional and show, you know, the, the band being friends and buddies backstage, there was, there was a lot of, the, they were split into two camps. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it was it was Ace and Peter and Gene and Paul, even even before when they did the the reunion where they were going to have Eric and Peter both play. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was very obvious that they just did not have that that faith in the former band members that to to really do what they what they, uh, you know, used to do. Yeah. You're talking about Bruce Kulick having to teach Ace Frehley. Some of his his, his own line. songs. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a, there's a certain level of oh, I understand why, because certain musicians will play a song a certain way, and they never change. But from what I'm you know what I've read in the last several years about with older musicians, is that all these legacy bands, if you want to call them that, that's our term that we use here on the show. All these legacy legacy bands. Of somehow, somewhere along the way, they changed the way they play. Like even even Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden recently said, you know, I, I read an interview where he says, when he came back to the band in in 1999, he had done a lot of detuning, and so he plays a lot of the songs in D in in, in um, drop D tuning, and it gives it a little bit of a different vibe, and he likes doing that. So there is some differences to to way he used to play. So when you have to go back and learn a song that you haven't played in forever, so like when they do these legacy tours, like for instance, they hadn't played a Revelations in six years at that point, maybe a little bit more, almost 10 years at that point. They hadn't played that song or they hadn't played Where Eagles Dare since 1983. And you have to learn these songs and you realize, oh, I played it like this, or I used to do this, or you know. So having to teach Ace Freely, who, mind you, who spent most of his most of the '80s completely trashed, most of the '70s completely trashed, I can understand why he had to, you know, someone had to teach him his own songs. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's more than that too. It's there's a lot of musicians that don't care about playing the same way twice because they play with their heart more than they play with their mind. That was you know, Ace, and, though, and the, yeah, Ace is one of those guys. He he just plays what he plays. No, Ace he, Ace plays the same solos. He plays the same solos, yes, but he, he you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't play the same thing twice, and he plays a lot of covers, and he plays 
you know, yeah, he plays the same solo. In fact, in like the same it, same solo in three or four different songs. Yeah, they yes. moved the solo from song to song to song. You, you notice uh, that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but but that being said, what I mean is, he he's not a, a studio musician. No, by by not by any means. No, I mean he didn't learn to read music. He just played. No, and and Paul Stanley once said that. As a musician, you evolve and you grow, and you continue to grow, and you continue to play, and you continue to do this. He's, he feels Ace Freely got to a certain level and never passed that level. He never grew as a musician. And I can, I can honestly say I agree with him. You see Kirk Hammett from Metallica grow in certain ways. You see James learn, he, do, he does more guitar solos. You know, you see um, people like um, Slash. I mean, I, um, Slash has grown dramatically. Slash has grown tremendously. You know, I mean, I would, I would cite Dave Mustaine, too. They, I mean, Dave, listen mm-hmm. to the last album that came out, mm-hmm. Dystopia. I mean, it's incredible. And yeah. and can learn from from new players that he plays with, right? So, and that's the big thing, um, you know. The, but I I would argue, you know, he he says, "Oh, Ace has never grown." I mean, I would argue, has has have really the other members of the band ever really done anything other than what they've done? I mean, well, Paul has uh, I think it's called Soul Station. He has an R and B band, so he sings and plays guitar with them. He's done solo stuff. I mean, he. He do, he has, but his solo stuff sounds very '80s, and I'm I'm even talking about like he did. Uh, what was the one with "Live to Win"? The yeah, more recent, one. yeah, that's the, the most recent one. Yeah, it. I mean, it doesn't sound dramatically different than what he would do with Kiss, and so I think it's it's kind of like, yeah, he can he can judge Ace for not growing, but I I wouldn't say he's he's become the most prolific guitar player and you know multi musician. I mean, multi-instrument musician either. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying with that, you know, but I think with him and, and even Gene, because to me, Gene, you know, he's a bass player. He he can he plays guitar. He can do, plays guitar, sings, he plays bass. I mean, I get that. He, he's, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He does some work on piano. But there are some people who are satisfied with, this is my band, and I'm going to dedicate my entire life to that. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. But even even within that realm, you can still grow as a musician. I don't know how, you know, again, Gene Simmons is a very good bass player. So I, I don't know where Gene goes from being that excellent bass player. What else does he do? Acting. Yeah, acting. I mean, he, <laughs> he there's a different thing. He he his musicianship is what it is for Kiss. And then he has done other things. So that that's where his focus Reality lies. TV. Yeah. So that's where his growth is considered to be at. But for Ace Freely, he has never been anything but a rock and roll guitar player. It even comes across to me, like I agree with Paul to, to a, a large degree. Even to me, Ace's solo albums... The best sounding solo album he has to me is the first one, Freely's Comet, because it's it's well produced. After that, he went back to, to try and have that raw Eddie Kramer sound like from Love Gun and from Rock and Roll Over. And he has achieved that on almost every album he's done. 
and I, I think the, the the two recent ones have sounded they've been produced a little bit better and they're a little slicker sounding but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, he's using modern technology to record as opposed to you know an old board that makes it sound raw so uh, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of growth and, and Ace is, is another guy who does you know who just does a lot of covers and he's built his solo career on several covers so it is what it is at this point. Ace Freely is, is what it is. Is Ace a better guitar player than Bruce? No. Is Ace Freely a better guitar player than Tommy Thayer? I don't think so. But the one thing that those two guys can't do is replicate what he did in the 70s with Kiss. I mean, that's exactly what Tommy Thayer does every show. <laughs> he tries to replicate He tries to replicate Ace. There's a soul and an energy that's behind what Ace did in the 70s. I mean, you listen to the guitar solo to "Make and Love." That's a that's an incredible guitar solo, incredible. I love that song. I love the guitar solo, and I love the live version of that song on "Kiss Alive" too. I don't think, and I, I haven't heard them play that song in a long time, so I can't say. Oh, yeah, Tommy does a, a a great job. He might be able to whip out a million notes like Bruce, but. Does it have the same soul behind it that Ace put into it back in 1976? Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I would say no. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue for Tommy Thayer because he doesn't he doesn't uh, fall into my category. But uh, uh, I mean, to me, he's he's a, a guy that's hired to cosplay, you know, Ace. I mean, I, mm-hmm. what else really does he do? He it's it's not his original character. He's doing the same gimmicks that Ace created. You know, smoke out of his guitar, etc. He's he's Ace Light. <laughs> yeah, light years away. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Tommy because he is a very accomplished guitar player. Uh, I've met. No, him I'm not once. criticizing him as right. a, as a person or a musician. It's just we're talking about Kiss. Right, we're and talking he, he about stuck his having role to be, in Kiss. Right, yeah. he's stuck having to be that person. But at the same time, you sh- you know he does in- he does inject his own influence to those solos and his own song in- into those songs. So that's where things, even though he may play a similar solo, it's maybe he's playing a little too many notes. Maybe he's playing not enough notes. There's just a vibe that's not the same as what Ace put into it. Back in the day, I loved Ace really. And I thought I saw him growing. I mean, when he got to light, you know, when he did uh, the Elder album and, and the, old, the only song he put on there was Dark Light. I'm like, this is my rocker. This is my hard guy. I was too young to notice that the guitar solo that he put on Dark Light was the same guitar solo that was on, you know, partly on She and partly on Parasite. <laughs> you know, I was like, mm-hmm. uh yeah, wait a second. This is the same guitar solo. <laughs> this sounds really familiar. Yeah, no wonder I like it so much. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that's that's kind of why I like the the '80s era was you didn't you didn't have those those rehashes and you had a, a variety of musicians that were excellent musicians contributing a new sound a new a new direction that kept the band alive well past their original fame. Yeah. I can and see I, that. I, I mean, I, for me, the, one of the biggest things that makes me like that era is Eric Carr. I mean, we've, we we talked about him. He's a, he's a really nice guy. He was a team player. But, I mean, I, I'll cite the, his drum sound on two of the albums, and that, that would be uh, Creature of the Night 
and not animalized uh, asylum uh asylum has a great drum sound it's it's very similar to to what it sounds like on creatures of the night it's a it's a heavier sound it's more it's more consistent all the way through more of a, a just a, a rocking badass sounding band yeah I and mean, and uh and part of that was definitely the musicianship of bruce kulik and the musicianship of of vinnie vincent you know now that you mentioned bruce kulik that was the first album that bruce kulik played on as a member of kiss mm-hmm. so it reflects on that too because i think there was an, uh, an injection of energy from bruce that kind of inspired a little bit of eric to play that top notch because Eric, I mean, Bruce is such an accomplished guitar player that it, it probably rose Eric's game to be a yeah, drummer, you know, a better I, drummer. I, I think that was, I mean, listening to stories about, you know, what happened after music from the elder. I mean, obviously that was the first album that Eric played on. It was kind of a disappointment in that he, he really didn't have a, a, a huge contributing role in that album other than he played what was asked of him. It was a huge experimental album, which you really can't take anything away from. You know, it's it's them trying to do something interesting, something different, and it didn't work out. It, re- it really didn't. No. Poor sales, no tour. Yeah, it was it was terrible. Yeah, so you, you go from that to Creatures of the Night, and from the first song, which... More on that in a second, but the first song is the title track, Creature of the Night. You listen to the the first sound is Eric Carr's drum beat, and it's it just blasts you into that album. Oh yeah, and so it uh, it, it it shows each time there was a new member, there was kind of this injection of uh, well, we have to prove ourselves, right? Which which happens? Okay, so you got Creature of the Night. Lick It Up. Lick It Up is the first album that Vinnie Vincent is an official member, and it's a great album. It, it starts with Exciter, which is a really cool song. It has a Rick Derringer lead guitar on it. Going back to Creatures of the Night, what's interesting to me is that's, that's my favorite song on the album, and it's not even really like Kiss playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh mork uh, mork 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 from orc it was uh playing mork keyboards mork, on yeah. that one <laughs> mike porcaro from uh toto mm-hmm. is playing bass guitar you've got steve ferris playing uh, the guitar solo so it's not even vinnie vincent playing on the uh, the guitar solo and you have gene nowhere in sight he's not even on the song you have Paul Stanley only doing the vocals. He's not even playing rhythm guitar. The only member of the band that's that's super active that plays every song on the album is Eric Carr. That's that's just that that's just a weird and interesting fact because it's like why would that happen? Especially when you come, when you're coming out with a brand new album. And it's it's a bizarre story. I mean, it's an it's a it's a Paul Stanley song. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's there's some additional writing credits from some other songwriters but still it's a paul stanley why wouldn't he be the guy playing rhythm guitar you know i just don't know i get it more on look it up you know where you're i mean i don't know where along the line that vinnie vincent was was named you know a member of the band even though he was never signed he was still a he was named a member he he was a contractor basically oh yeah he was a contractor but he was 
considered to be a member. They gave him the Ankh Warrior. I mean, the, yeah, the ultimate the kiss. Warrior. He was on, on the album cover. Yeah, the ultimate kiss know. logo. I mean, he, he got the Ankh Warrior. <laughs> and so, I mean, you would think if they gave him a character, they gave him makeup, and he, he does the tour, you know, he's, I mean, he's not a, a 25% member, but he's a paid he's a paid guy. So his membership is, is there. But I think part of the issue was also he didn't sign a lot of his contracts because yep. he didn't think that, you know, he was getting a fair shake. It is what it is. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, but but what ends up happening is you each, almost each album, there's a new member of the band. And that could be a little disconcerting to, to the fans. They don't know what they're getting to a degree. But so, at the same time, it, there's this, this mentality of, of we have to prove ourselves. We have to keep going. We have to, you know, go one step further. And unfortunately, it's a little bit of a downturn with Animal Eyes, Beyond, Heavens on Fire, Thrills in the Night, Murder in High Heels is a pretty good track. But for the most part, it's it doesn't have that same energy that uh, the last two albums have. No, it didn't. And um, I mean... Heaven's on fire. It's funny because if you listen to um, if you listen to that album on Spotify, or I would say the same thing probably for iTunes or, or Google Play. Heaven's on fire, if I'm not mistaken, is one of those where they, they it's an isolated track. It's part of the ten songs or whatever on there, but it's an isolated track and it has a better sound than the rest of the album. And I think it, that has to do with they took the track out and they produced it for radio and stuff like that, and so it has a a better sound it's louder than the ones that's on spotify than the rest of the album and it and it sounds like it's almost remastered over the other songs that's interesting i didn't know that I've, I've noticed that with a few with a few albums on spotify specifically some kiss albums but i've, I've noticed it on some other ones where like the, the single the like for instance twisted sister stay hungry if you listen to the rest of the album except for I want to rock and we're not going to take it. The rest of the album sounds kind of flat. You listen to those two songs, they're louder, they're and they're a little clearer. They sound better because they've been they've been remastered, you know, however many times or whatever they've done to the song. So hmm. yeah, it's real interesting. Why is it sound I mean it's like decibels louder. You could tell. Interesting. So All right, so we unfortunately we end that era with uh, two albums that I'm not super fond of, which would be uh, Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade. Hot in the Shade is a to me is a tough listen. There's really not a lot on it that I I can get behind. So it's it's one of those that I feel like the strength of the other albums carries my era, but Hot in the Shade can't really do much to you know it's 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 like a kid getting beat up in the corner against mike tyson you know <laughs> i mean you're right i mean hot in the shade is just overall a terrible album i and mean crazy nights and much better crazy nights is not much better um i don't know if it's i don't see i don't know if it's worse but i don't know if it's better i think it's it, it's, <laughs> I think not, it's, it, it's not it's not worse bad. it's not worse yeah. it is de- to me crazy nights is definitely a better album i mean the single crazy nights was was uh i don't want to say a huge hit it was a hit for Kiss, Bang Bang You was played in concert. There was like five songs that they played in concert at one point. Reason, uh, not reason, uh, yeah, Reason to Live was a small hit for them as a single. It should have been bigger. 
Heart was huge, and that's that, I mean that every time I hear that song, I think of Heart because it has the same sound. It Ron sounds ne- like a Heart song. Well, I mean, Ron it, it Nevison sounds like they're the trying guy. to be a chick band. Yeah, well, Ron Nevison was the same guy who produced it. If I'm not mistaken, he's the one who produced Heart. So yeah. that he has that same exact sound, very the padded keyboards, you know, the very muted reverb on the drums, you know. So it's it he has that classic sound. The album to me is way too overproduced. <clears throat> so it's, it's very glammy, and that's I think that was kind of the 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 problem before they hit Revenge was everything was real glammy, yes. and then they hit Revenge. And, you know, you have Car Jam 1981, which is, which is Eric Carr's last hurrah. You know, they take, they take some old recordings of, of him just jamming and put it on the end of the album as a tribute. So that kind of ties it into that era. But it's, it's, a, it's a heavy metal album. It, and no, it's, it's good. It's a, it's, a, it's a very good classic Kiss album. I will I mean, give God you that. gave rock and roll to you too. Is as much of a anthem as as rock and roll all night. Yeah, but it's not their song. That's that's the the thing that sucks about it. It's not their song. No, it's not. But but it is. They do have writing credits on it because it's it's a variation of an older song. Yeah, they changed the lyrics. I think they changed the lyrics, but it's synonymous with Kiss. Yeah, because I mean, you don't think of of uh, Russ what Ballard. was the band uh, Argent? Yeah, you don't think of Argent when you listen to God <laughs> Give Rock and Roll to you. No, but I mean that album has some really good songs. I mean, Unholy, Take It Off, Domino, Unholy, which is of any Vincent song, yes. which ties back into he's a really good songwriter. Yes, he's an excellent songwriter, he, and they brought him back. They tried to to mend that relationship, you know, and he's got one two. Three writing credits. No, excuse me. One, yeah, three writing credits on that album. I just wanna, which is a really cool song. Heart of Chrome, it's okay. And then he's got Unholy. I mean, that's 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 the best Gene Simmons song that that came out since Creatures of the Night. And those were two of the singles that were on the album. Which one? Oh, uh, Unholy and I Just Wanna. Yes, that that goes to show how good Vinny can be. If he would just keep his mouth shut and just play guitar and write songs, but you know when he opens his mouth and he starts demanding things and things that he's better than his shit don't stink, that's when things go haywire for him. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. The guy's had a tough life. I mean, his wife was murdered. He's he's been through some some shit. So I don't want to be too hard on the guy, but he clearly has. He kind of shot himself in the foot a few times. Yeah, you know, and it's just really too bad. Now, what's cool about Revenge is that it was produced by Bob Ezrin, who's the same guy who produced Destroyer. And on the flip side, he was the same guy who produced The Elder. Now, <laughs> something I wanted to tell you earlier about The Elder is if you listen to The Elder, because you were talking about production and how the drums sound really good on Asylum and on Creatures of the Night. If you listen to The Elder and then you kind of decide to play The Wall from Pink Floyd, you'll notice that the drums sound eerily similar in in tone and production. Especially if you listen to uh, A World Without Heroes and then listen to something on the wall. You'll notice that there's a lot of similarities. 
Well, didn't that have to do with Bob Ezrin? That has everything to do with Bob Ezrin. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't remember if this was a rumor or if I read this somewhere or what the deal was, but my understanding was that they actually took some of the, the, the drum tracks from the wall, because I think the wall came out in 79. It did, yeah. And and they took some of the drum tracks and they looped them to give it like a, um, to give it the same the same snare sound. And they used that sound from the wall on the Elder. You know, as an isolated track, they took that drum track and they brought it in and they, they, they kind of just looped it so that, you know, they used that instead of recreating a new drum sound for the Elder. But that's, I think I read that somewhere or, or I think someone, I heard it somewhere. So it is pure speculation. But there is an eerie similarity to me I could be completely wrong. Well, I mean, it, it's produced by the same guy, and it's a concept album. Yeah. So it's it's not un, unrealistic that it would have similarities. No, it's it's very possible, plausible, all that good stuff. And I, I will defend music from the elder to a degree because. Like I said before, it was them trying to do something really different. And it has some interesting stuff on it. I mean, you mentioned Dark Light. That's a cool song. It is a cool song. The Oath uh, is a cool song. Hell, Arch Oath. Enemy thought it was so cool, they covered it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, the up-tempo songs, The Oath, I, and Dark Light, those three songs are excellent songs. Give it a different production. Tell... Paul to you know pull his balls out of of, of the the cavity that they're stuck in so he can actually sing like a normal person and you know <laughs> he did sing a really weird falsetto yeah I mean he showed off his singing skills and range that's great okay you didn't have to do it but the bottom line is those three songs are very good songs you give them to you know give them the the proper treatment and there they would probably be classic songs unfortunately it landed on that album that production and it, it suffers from that ill fate and even the slow songs as you mentioned some of them are really good i mean world without heroes was a single for kiss it made the charts you know i i remember watching it on casey Kasem's top 40 or top 10 on on, on like on saturday or sunday afternoon you know so it made the charts I think it's interesting too because it's I, I I've listened to rock operas and stuff like that in the past that, that that you know tell a story and they've always been kind of interesting to me. I mean I, I I'm a huge fan of Death Clock. That was Brendan Small's project. He did a he did a cartoon that kind of made fun of the the metal world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of guest stars on there like James Hetfield. You you know you're such a big Metallica fan. James Hetfield was one of the first guest stars on that show playing, you know, just a bit part. Um, but they had guys from all over the metal world just guest star on the show because they're all, you know, friends of his and just some metal getting publicity is always a good thing. So, um, you know, Brendan did, uh, you know, a couple joke rock opera style projects in the past he had a show called home movies um but he he did a, a whole i think it's hour-long 
rock opera style episode of the show that was the really kind of the finale. And I, I've listened to that so many times. I just love it. So, you know, th- this is not outside of my realm, the, the elder, but it's not, I mean, it's obviously not a rock opera. It's, it's art rock, like David Bowie esque kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was but it's still a no, concept 80. like that. You know, it's telling a story. You're going through a journey of this, this kid, going through this adventure but it it just i don't know it just it's so weird and so different from what kiss had done that i can totally get that it's just off-putting to the masses it missed the mark especially when for my era you're coming off of two albums dynasty and unmasked that were as as well produced as you could say they were it, it's it's like this, the drums don't sound real. Um, the guitars sound processed. So and and so the only thing that sounds normal, and even the vocals for that matter, sound kind of weird. Those two albums suffered from weird production and lack of focus in terms of songwriting. I mean, they had decent songs. I mean, don't get me wrong. Dynasty's a good album. Ace really had the three best songs in the album. You know, because essentially Ace came in and said, I'm going to do these songs and that's it. I'm in the band. I'm doing these songs. And, you know, the other guys were off trying to be rock stars. And, you know, and, and Paul Stanley comes in with this, this disco song because he became friends with Desmond Child who said, hey, let's do a rock song with a disco beat. And they came up with I Was Made For Loving You. You know what? It's still a staple today, but it's, it's, it comes across differently now. Back back then, it was it was offensive to a Kiss fan. It was offensive to rock and roll fans. It's like, what is this? We hate disco, and you're going to sit there and, and give our favorite band a disco song. That's why that's why they turned off so many fans. Yeah, well, I stuck with them, but you know, and then you know, then they come up with Unmasked, so you don't hear anything from the band. I mean, they they toured behind Dynasty with these extremely lavish costumes. I'm going to call them costumes because, damn it, they weren't outfits. <laughs> I mean, although <laughs> jeans was pretty cool because it, it, it looked like a... He didn't even look like a dinosaur. He looked like a, a, a moving rock. I mean, his, his shoulder pads were like these stone-looking things, and he had these really weird dinosaur feet with these teeth coming out of it. Cool stuff. The rest of them, I mean, Peter and Paul were with these... The boas, you know, the, the fuzzy boas uh, all yeah, over the place. Yeah. The, you know, the Hulk Hogan boa. Yeah, the boas. And then Ace Frehley's walking around with that big giant cape, you know, that that, that Tom Snyder made so much fun of. Um, so they, they've got these really <laughs> lavish albums, uh, uh, lavish outfits. They finished the tour. You don't hear anything. You don't hear they're in a the studio. You don't hear that they're going to go back in the studio. And... A year later, out comes Unmasked, and you hear no support for it. Why? Because Peter Chris is gone. Ace Freely, as as for for what it's worth, is gone. I mean, they toured Australia on that album, and they didn't. Even, I don't even think they toured the states. They did a that was their big Australian tour that they did. They went over huge in in, in Australia, and that was it. Then all of a sudden, Ace is gone. I mean, he's he's drunk and high and doing all his all his drugs. Ace is gone. Eric is 
he had joined the band for the Australian tour because when Un- Unmask came out, Peter was gone, so Eric joined. It, it, it's a completely new band now, all of a sudden. So now, the, you know, much like we talked about last week with, you know, entering New Millennium, they're entering a new decade and all sorts of wholesale changes are happening to Kiss. And they're only a few years away from being unmasked. Even though the album said unmasked, I was fully expecting to see makeup gone when I. Yeah, that confused me when I was doing research about the band a long time ago. Where I, I figured unmasked was where they unmasked, but no, I mean, it's literally them just, in the, especially in the image of the album color, it's just them taking a mask off and it's the same face underneath, I guess, saying, this is the true us, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it fell flat. Yeah. It fell flat. But it was, you know, the album, it was, put it this way, that album is better than Hot in the Shade. <laughs> and, that, and that suffers, that's probably the worst of their masked, their makeup era albums. But it, it's, uh, it's, wor- it's better than Hot in the Shade. <laughs> yeah. That's, I can't defend that one. <laughs> so, I like Dynasty. I like Unmasked. I mean, I liked all the albums that came out with. I mean, f- the the incredible amount of recording that they did in the seventies. You know, from seventy four, you know, two albums, seventy five, one album, seventy six, two albums, seventy seven, one album, and then they all did solo albums in seventy eight, and seventy nine, and then eighty. So they they did a lot of recording. I mean, that's a crazy amount of stuff out there. We talked about that before. Um, to me, you know, Peter Chris leaving was the end of the era the classic era of kiss and it definitely changed how the band moved forward for good and for bad because obviously they slowly went disco they slowly went you know easy listening hard rock if you want to call it that and then you know peter was gone ace is gone in comes a whole new kiss i guess maybe it was you know that Paul and Gene finally got the control that they wanted, you know, and they didn't have anybody fighting back because they could fire Eric and uh, Bruce or Mark or, or whoever was playing guitar, Vinny, at any time. So I think that was evident, and like I said in the music videos, it, yeah. you knew you knew who was Kiss, right? You know, you knew who was in charge. So I, huge fan of Rock and Roll Over, I like Destroyer. I, lo- I, I to me my favorite three albums from Kiss, or from that era of Kiss, are are this is Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun. To me, the the even though the songs are still good, the weaker three albums are, are Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and, and Dress to Kill. So my favorite era is that the Alive Two era. I put it that way. And to me, there's nothing that can touch that two year span from '76 and '77. It's it's hard to replicate what they did those two years. I I, I think that's fair, but I'm I, like like I've said many times before, I'm always going to gravitate towards the heavier stuff, and Creatures of the Night is what does it for me. Now, in in all fairness, as I grew older, obviously I grew in I grew up in the '80s, and so I got to see Kiss for the first time in 1986, the Asylum tour. And then the next time I saw them was in, I want to say, 88, which was the Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits tour. And then I saw them again on the Hot in the Shade tour, and I saw them on the Revenge tour. 
or maybe it was a crazy nice or one of them. I, I, I think I saw the crazy nice tour. Maybe it, it may, it, oh, it wasn't. It was the crazy nice tour, not smashes, thrashes, and hits. I think smashes came out a few months later, or they were still part of. They was they came out and they were still touring. So I got to see them in the '80s. So I saw that era, and you know there was nothing I could do. I I missed the classic era. So there is a special place in my heart for the '80s era, Kiss. I missed uh, both of those eras because the first time that I saw them live was 2011. Wow. Wow. Uh, I saw them twice. uh, uh, Well, I saw them once on the reunion, and then I saw them on the farewell tour. And Paul Stanley, was his boot was in my booth. I was in the VIP section at the outdoor venue in West Palm Beach, and they had built the little stage where he flies across the audience and lands and sings Love Gun. His, he he was his that little mini stage was part of my booth, so that was pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, and I, and I've met them. I met Paul Jean. I met uh, Eric Singer, and I met uh, I met Eric Singer twice, and I met Bruce Kulick, and I met Tommy Thayer when he was actual employee for the Kiss organization, not just the employee on stage. <laughs> he had short hair when I met him. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Me, me, and a, me and the other guy that was working at the KISS conventions, we saw Tommy. He was like, hey, isn't that the dude from Black and Blue? We're like, yeah, we literally drove home to go get our Black and Blue CD so that he can sign them. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So that was very pretty pretty cool. So, I mean, KISS was, you know, they were super nice guys when, we, when I met them that day. Take nothing away from them. My era is 1976, 1977. I love that stuff. Those were, you know, my three favorite albums. My favorite album overall. I, I want to say this. I'm going to agree with you. My favorite overall Kiss album is Creatures of the Night. Can't take that away from it. it, it See, I win. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly enough, here's, here's the funny thing. My second favorite Kiss album is also Revenge. <laughs> so both of them are in your, are in your era, but. As a well, whole, that's funny because my second favorite is the first album, Kiss. Yeah, oh, I, I can see that. As a whole, though, the body of work in the seventies, with you know, withstands the test of time, and, and, and is, that is the part that I love about Kiss. All right. Well, uh, don't you think it's time to get to our big four tonight? I think it's time. I think it's time to get to it. All right. Um, I think I'm going to start things off tonight, if that's okay with you. Go for it. All right. So number four, uh, I got to pick Detroit Rock City. Ooh, uh, I like it. It's a, it, I mean, it's a classic song, but it, it it represents more than just being a cool song. I mean, it's the the life, kind of like the life of of being a fan to a degree. You know, you're getting ready to see the big show, and it uh, it's a song that kind of ignites the fun of going to see a show mm-hmm. all right so number two i mean sorry number three i'm gonna, I'm gonna go in reverse um i'll just i'll just go random numbers next time. <laughs> <laughs> number three strutter i'm a big fan of that song it's, Are you really? uh, i like that song i mean it's one of the first i mean obviously I, the first songs i heard from them were from kiss alive too but when i went outside of that that's i bought the kiss the first Kiss album. That was the second album I owned from Kiss, and so that's the f- first thing you hear. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to me because the albums that came after, like you said, they just don't have the production quality that that first one had. 
which is which is bizarre, but it's it's still it just shows how how not not only like this the actual song quality, but the the production has an impact on on what you're listening to. You know? Yes. So the one thing about I'm sorry to interrupt you. The one thing about the first album, it has a decent sound. Okay, mm-hmm. but you could tell it's a studio record. It doesn't have the energy, but what it does have is an attitude, and that's what that's why that album is so good. It has an attitude that Kiss had. It doesn't have the energy that Kiss had, but it has an attitude. So it, there's a there's a difference there. And well, it's, it's a lot like um, what we've talked about with many bands' first album. Mm-hmm. It's it's got that rawness that like I have to, we are we as a band have to succeed, right. and so you're putting out really top quality products because these are all songs that they've had their whole lives to write, that they're that that they've had. This is this is the moment to shine, and Strutter being one of the first songs you ever hear from them it's important that it 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 it's it's what starts you off and says you know this is this is what we are exactly um number two is love gun it's funny i'm I'm defending the 80s and three of my picks are from the <laughs> 70s um which which is you know gonna happen every time we do this um but love gun i i just love that song it's it, it, you know, it's innuendo, but it's really not. I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. You know what he's talking about. Oh yeah. But it's it's a good song. Every time I hear it, I it it doesn't matter. I just crank it up. I love that song. Yeah, it's 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 got a unique sound to it. That drum sound is so different. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, like it's, it. I mean, it, the album was produced well. It's just so raw. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, when I when I listen to an album, I like to hear, I like to know when the album came out by listening to it. And I don't I don't mean like I don't want it to sound like shit, but I I, I want it to be, you know, what it was. I don't want it. Re- I don't want the Star Wars treatment, you know. Right. <laughs> Where you take a movie from 1977 and and remix it 40 times until you, it's un, indistinguishable from what it should be. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I I just love that song. It's a fun song to sing along to. <laughs> it is. So if the, if you love that song, and I know you mentioned it before, what mm-hmm. is number one? Number one is Creatures of the Night. Ah. Uh. Go figure. It's just such a cool intro to that album. Uh, it really shows off Eric's drum capabilities. It has some really good, cool guitar work. And... I can't really pick anything else. It's probably the heaviest Kiss song that ever was. Mm, I I debate that. <laughs> and I'll tell you why right now with my number four. <laughs> my number four song is Unholy from the Revenge album. And to me, that song is the heaviest Kiss song that's out there. I would there. say God of Thunder is a pretty heavy song too. But yeah, Unholy is a heavy song too. Yeah, to me, to me, that's the because even though God of Thunder is played slow and and it's got this heavy plotting tone to it, I think guitar, the cording and the phrasing of the guitars are, and I think it's tuned lower 
as well. So that's why I think Unholy is probably their heaviest song. And it's, I mean, it's, it, I listened to it on the way home today. It's, I love that song. Yeah, it's a good one. I love that song. But I have three more I love more. <laughs> <laughs> number three for me is your number one, Creatures of the Night. Love it. Love the drum sound. Love the production. Love everything about that song. One thing you didn't mention that I really like a lot about that song that doesn't come across as well live is the background vocals where they go with, with the, the high pitch to the low pitch on, mm-hmm. on the different sound. I love that. I just It's a great song. I, di- I didn't mention it because I wanted you to mention it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, number two is weird. I had a different song in its place and then I remembered man but I really like this other song and that's the one I always considered to be my number two so my number two song is Calling Dr. Love um, from the from the Love Gun album no that came from excuse me from Rock and Roll Over that was Rock and Roll Over (laughs) yes to me that is the ultimate Gene Simmons song Calling Dr. Love it was the it, it has the innuendo but it's not so in your face like Chris, like Christine sixteen was so in your face with the innuendo. It, it, you know, unholy as good a song as it is. I think Gene, you know, and Gene comes across because that's that was the the reemergence of Gene Simmons as a songwriter with Unholy. He finally found who he was after all those years in the eighties. He finally found who he was, you know, in in nineteen ninety two on Revenge. Calling Doctor Love was who Gene Simmons was in the 70s he you know especially with you know his escapades in in the uh, the bedroom area <laughs> yeah i think the, calling dr love why why i have a hard time with that one is because i remember it from a, a dr pepper commercial really? it was oh yes yeah. i do remember that yes yeah and it, it they ran it so often it kind of it's like when you watch um a car commercial and they're running like I, I i can't remember what company uses it but they do like a rock you know oh yeah and chevy that was the chevy commercial yeah chevy uh, and it just killed that song and yeah. it, 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 there's there's certain things like that to me that just you know they kind of water down a song and it's it's it is a good song don't get me wrong but i i think it like tainted it in my head totally understand and to me that's one of peter chris's best performances on record with kiss <clears throat> that and making love love that song and that and, was supposed and to love gun love gun Lo- has a really good the per- fun- uh, drum track it has a great drum track but it's if you think about it i, I for, if i'm not mistaken paul stanley said that's not peter playing the drums on that <laughs> Uh, go figure. So that's part of it because they that's said why that, it's such a good because Peter Peter couldn't play the drums to it. Um, oh, the 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 whole timing of it threw him off. So I'll that, take back what I said. I was misinformed. <laughs> so no, but it, but it is a great drum track. Just unfortunately, I don't think it's Peter. All right. So all right. So what's your number one? My number one song is the Michigan anthem for rock and roll, Detroit Rock City. <laughs> I love that song. To me, that is the ultimate kiss opener for any concert. If you hear that song, you know you're at a kiss concert. You know you're going to have a good time. I love that song. That is my favorite, by far, hands down, kiss song there is. Love it. 
or you know that you're listening to any classic rock station within, I would say, 45 minutes of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that to me is is uh, is my favorite Kiss song. Yeah, it's a great one. I mean, they they named the movie after it. It's it's a prolific song to say the least. It is. So we debated tonight. Which was better, seventies or eighties? We both put up our points. We both talked a lot about details from those eras, and we laid out our favorite Kiss songs. So why don't we go ahead and tell them how they can hear us in the podcasting world? All right. So you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean. We're constantly adding new forums. We're reaching out. We're wanting to know what you think. So anytime we post our uh, our big four lists on Instagram, one of these places, please check it out. Tell us your big four. We want to hear it. If you liked our show, you know, reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're open. We want criticism. We want uh, you to tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. And uh, that's pretty much it for us this week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>